We're in Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31, we're gonna just jump right into it. Um, we're gonna trust the Lord to lead, guide, and direct us in scripture this morning. Uh, if I could take the first section here uh, and name it, and this will be the first blank in your notes, uh, we're just gonna call this flight. Uh, Jacob is really fleeing from his father-in-law, and so here it is, Genesis 31 verse one. And he heard the word, words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, his father-in-law, the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. So, you know, if you're paying attention here in verses one and two, and in your life, if, if you're paying attention, you can see trouble coming. Trouble is your next blank, why? Well, because you know, you may be in a season of blessing, you may be moving forward in faith and things are unfolding for you according to your work, according to your faith, according to whatever, and the outcome of it is blessing. And, and some people, they get bitter over your blessing. God's blessing your life and other people see it and instead of rejoicing with you because you're rejoicing, that's what brothers do, they rejoice with those that rejoice, they weep with those that weep. No, instead of rejoicing with you, they get bitter over God's blessing on your life. You know, in verse one we see accusation. The, the sons of Laban are saying, basically, uh, Jacob has quasi stolen from our father. Uh, that's the accusation that they're making. And then, you know, so that's, that's verse one. Aggravation in verse two, Laban's countenance changes. Uh, he starts looking sideways at, at Jacob, why? Well, because now Jacob is richer than Laban. He has, you know, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. That word glory, uh, we give glory to God, right? That's uh, a lot of times we'll use that word like we're gonna recognize, right? Glory to God, we're recognizing him for who he is, and we're giving him the honor we're giving him the, the worship, the adoration and praise that's due his name. Glory means wealth, right? It means honor and majesty, but it also means wealth. And so there's a sense in which now they're sensing the dominion is going to Jacob and they don't like it. And so all of this falls out to big problems on the horizon. If you're looking, a lot of times you'll see trouble coming. Proverbs chapter 22 verse three says, and you see it again in chapter 27, but a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself but the simple pass on and are punished. Sometimes God's gonna make sure you see problems on the horizon, why? So that you will change the course, right? You will change your trajectory, right? You want, if you keep going the way you're going, it's gonna hurt and so you need to move to make sure you don't get stuck. You know, Fuller wrote, you know, concerning this couple of verses, he says it's wisely ordered that the countenance should in most cases be an index to the heart. A lot of times you can see what's on a person's heart just by looking at what's on their face. Else there would be much more deception in the world than there is. People would get away with a lot more perpetrating if they were better at hiding it. Uh, we gather more of men's disposition toward us from their looks than their words. And domestic happiness is more influenced by the one than the other. Sullen science, silence is often more intolerable than contention itself because the latter, painful as it is, affords opportunity for mutual explanation. But while Jacob had to complain at Laban's cloudy countenance, he could add, the God of my father has been with me. God smiles, right, God smiles, God's countenance toward us. 
is the best support under a man's frowns. If we walk in the light of his countenance, we need not fear what man can do unto us. And, and we're gonna see this unfold here in this story. You know, Jacob sees Laban's intent toward him and he knows it's not good. He knows Laban isn't happy for Jacob's blessing and he knows Laban's character and so he's tempted to fear. What he's gonna find out is that God's big enough for even this problem. Man may be frowning at you, but God's smile over your life, your place, your relationship with the Lord, that ought to embolden you, not to be a jerk right back, but to keep moving forward in faith. I mean, if God's with me, whom shall I fear? I mean, if God is with me, what do I have to worry about? Yeah, I may go through a tough time, God's still with me. Yeah, I may face conflict, God's still with me. That's what Jacob is gonna learn here in chapter 31, verse three. Jacob hears a command from the Lord, a promise from God, and so immediately he works to obey. In verse three, check it out. The Lord said unto Jacob, return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. You follow my will, you follow my word, and I'm with you in that. Uh, that's an emboldening, an emboldening, right? That's, a, that's, a, that's an encouraging truth. God's people gotta get a hold of that. Is God with you or not? Is God helping you or not? Are, are, are you with the Lord or not? Is the Lord with you or not? I mean, if he is, what do you have to be afraid of? Just get busy obeying. So here's some life lessons from verse three that we gotta get down. God's favor is always found in, in immediately obeying his word. What we're gonna see next is Jacob calls a secret meeting. And, and, and the whole meeting is about how do we as a family immediately obey what the Lord just commanded over my life in verse three. Uh, return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred and I will be with thee. That's how you find the favor of the Lord. You don't dissemble, you don't delay, you don't get derailed. What God's word says should settle it in your heart. Now you're about the business, right? You're getting to work. You're getting immediately to the business of obeying God. So many of God's people, they're frustrated and they're depressed and they're just confused and confounded. Why? Well, because they know what God's word says, but they've got a thousand reasons for why they need to wait in submitting to it. And then you wonder why you're depressed. You wonder why you're, you're struggling. You wonder why you're wrestling in life. Well, because you know, God will not be ignored. He's not gonna give you the peace that passes all understanding in your rebellion. So many people, right, they, they, they take delay, they take dithering, and they have excuses for why they're delaying to obey God's word, and they don't recognize that it's actually rebellion against the word of the Lord. Not Jacob, Jacob's growing up. God said get, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to work figuring out how to go. So God's favor is found in immediately obeying his word, then we have to Love, obey God more than our family. You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, except ye hate father and mother, you cannot be my disciple, and, and we've talked about that at some length. We're not talking about having a heart of hatred toward your mom and dad. No, if you're gonna be Christ's disciple, you have to be willing and ready to obey his word over the will of your immediate family. In other words, when it comes down to choosing who you're gonna obey, Jesus says it, that settles it, and mom and dad don't have to like it. Uh, there is a cost in following the Lord according to his word, and we have to count it. And so Jacob does this. Laban is going to be scheming on how to get all of this back. God said go. J Laban's not gonna like it. I, I gotta go. 
Laban doesn't have to like it, I have to obey the Lord. And so we have to understand that the lost world, or even carnal Christians, will be, I mean, they will absolutely be diametrically opposed to obeying the word of God. Uh, This happens, uh, this happened in my own life. Uh, I didn't actually get flack from the lost world, I wasn't super connected, I kind of grew up shy and and uh, self-conscious, and, and so I'd get with a, you know, if I was with my immediate friends, of course I was obnoxious and uh, bold as brass, but, but uh, around people that I didn't know, I'd get quiet and I'd be shy, and I kind of still, uh, probably still default to some of that uh, behavior even as an old man, but, but uh, you know, I, I remember getting plugged into a church that was preaching and teaching the word of God, and. And it, you know, I'm a slow learner. It took about six months for the word of God. Melissa is building a meme or something. You look like you got an ornery look on your face. <laughs> and I'm just saying, you're busted right here in service. <laughs> Settle down. So anyway, I love you. Okay, so. And I'm getting, it takes a while for the word of God to get kindled in my heart. And next thing I know, man, the word's burning in my heart and I'm on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm just trying to figure out how to get into my Bible and get the Bible into me and and I'm all fired up and my church friends in a Bible preaching, in a Bible teaching church uh, got uncomfortable with that. I mean, that absolutely messed up uh, in terms of the fellowship that I had with a, with a number of people in my local church. Why? Well, because I didn't want to spend all my time going to Coolcrest and playing video games and playing golf. This is before the internet, okay? <laughs> Today it would be, uh, I, you know, I just didn't want to spend all my time watching videos of other people playing video games with my, you know, like. People don't even hang out with their friends anymore. It's just, we were talking about uh, on the way into church, Seth and I, uh, what does banjo face look like? You guys know what banjo face is. Banjo face, people play in an instrument, especially if they're gonna involve like a scrug style, it's a, it's a picking style where you know everything's, like everything's working at the same time. It takes a little bit of concentration to do that and, and what will happen is you get so focused on what you're doing, it's called banjo face. <laughs> you know, because you're like zoned out up here and everything's like locked in and your face, you can't control your, okay. That's so many people, I mean that's how they spend their time, it's just, just zoned out, I mean, uh, YouTube face, I, I don't know what you call it, but anyway, so you're not spending, a, you, you know, how, how come we're not going to Cool Christ? How come we're not going to this movie? How come we're not going on this trip? Man, God's word's speaking to me, and I have to submit to that, I have to respond to that. So many times, even the, even the, the, the Christians that are in your life will have a tough time with you getting serious about obeying the word of God. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Right? Why? What? Because you've decided to follow Jesus. First Corinthians chapter two says, "The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man." For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. If you're in life for carnal, fleshly pursuits, you're in it for yourself, you're never gonna get why this book is so awesome. And you're never gonna get why so many people get so lit up and on fire over what it says. You'll never get why they get so serious about 
following according to this word? Well, because you're not spiritually minded. You're minding carnal things. Man, today I wanna invite you to just repent of that. Repent of a pursuit of a life of satisfaction in this world and determine that you're gonna pursue contentment in Christ. 1 Timothy 3 verse two says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Laban's gonna drop the hammer, but Jesus is worth it. So verse three, this is the answer to every conflict, right? Laban's countenance has changed toward him. God's word is very clear in terms of the solution. Man, if God's people could get a hold of that, don't miss this picture. You've got situations, you've got issues that you're dealing with. As God's word speaks, don't delay to obey what it says. Return to the promises of God, right? Return to the promises of God and the presence of God in your life. Just return, get back to the place of obedience. So verses four through 16, we'll call this a secret meeting. Meeting is your next blank. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field and to his flock and said unto them, I see your father's countenance that it, was not, that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me and you know that with all my power I have served your father and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. But God suffered him not, he didn't allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ring straked shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring straked. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. You know, if God would have found in Laban a generous, would have found him a generous employer, uh, he would have been blessed in that. But what God found in Laban was a thief. All he wanted to do was keep Jacob under his thumb because Jacob was profitable. Jacob was making him rich. And so, you know, this happens. Here he is. He's a podunk little farmer. Jacob shows up. God's blessing the work of his hands. Now, as an employer, he's making money hand over fist. But the problem is Jacob's getting paid too much. Well, hello, moron. I don't know if I can say that, but there it is. I mean, moron, you were, you were so poor before this valued employee showed up. He's making you rich, but you can't cut him the paycheck that he's due. What is wrong with you? You thief. You see what's happening? Okay, so we're gonna change your wages. All of it is, all of it is designed to keep Jacob poor and Laban enriched. God sees it and God's like, no, we're not gonna play like that. And so he's straightening Laban out, financial deal after five, 10 times Laban still doesn't get the message. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here am I. And he said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked and speckled and grizzled, for I have seen all that, ja that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar where thou vowest a vow, oh by the way, um, just so you get this, we already talked about the identity of the angel of the Lord. Verse 11, the angel of God is speaking. The angel of God is speaking, and what does he say? Um, I am the God, verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar. So again, anytime the angel of the Lord shows up, here it's called the angel of God. This is a pre- incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you can go back and, and get that message if you need to get filled in. 
And one of the definitions that we had for angel was appearing. You know, it doesn't misfire. Um, so what some of the old timers would say, it, 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 it kind of hits, right? This is the appearing of the Lord. Uh, this is the Lord's messenger speaking. It's his appearing. And so here it is again uh, in chapter 31. So now arise, get thee out from this land and return into the land of thy kindred. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? There's nothing left for us here. Are we not counted of him strangers? He doesn't view us as his daughters. He views us as your wives. For he hath sold us and hath quite devoured also our money because their father is a thief. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father that is ours and our children's, now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Finally, the sisters are in agreement. (laughs) There's harmony in the home. Verses 17 through 22, we'll call this a secret departure. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods, which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten out of Padan, Aram, for to go to Isaac, his father, to the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. She stole the idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban, uh, the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. He doesn't say, I quit, I'm leaving. I'm taking my family, I'm moving. No, he just, he just quits and he leaves. So Laban finds out later. So he fled with all that he had and rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. Okay, so in terms of fleshly wisdom, now remember, what was the promise from the Lord? God says, leave, go to the land of your fathers. I'm with you. Remember that? So Jacob's afraid of what Laban is gonna do. If, if Laban, right, hears from Jacob, I quit, I'm leaving, he thinks it's, I mean, Jacob thinks it's gonna be on like Donkey Kong. Does anybody know that phrase? It's an oldie but a goodie. I mean, if you've ever played Donkey Kong, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's just trash and smash everywhere. Okay, so um, it's gonna be, it's gonna be uh, you know, a, a cage match. Um, so he just goes. In terms of fleshly wisdom, that's probably a, a smart deal, right? You get a head start, you get away. Uh, Laban knew that it wasn't gonna keep going the way it was going. Jacob would likely leave, but Jacob feared that, that Laban would attack him, deal treacherously with him, that something would happen. But see, here's the thing. First Timothy chapter seven, or chapter one, I'm sorry, verse seven, God has not given his people a spirit of fear. What spirit does God give us? It's a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. Uh, don't fear, do not fear, right? We should always obey God with boldness, with confidence, because that will bring glory to the Lord. Don't obey God with jerkiness, with obnoxiousness, but humbly, simply state who God is, what God has said, and your, your determination to submit, to follow and obey. Uh, Arthur Pink said, Not of him could it be said, for ye shall not go out with haste nor by flight, for the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel shall be your reward. Uh, He's referencing Isaiah 52 verse 12. That the Holy Spirit was not here leading is made more evident by what is told us in Genesis 31, 19. Uh, Rachel had stolen the teraphim that were her father's. So in other words, this leaving, it's not a good testimony, right? I mean, yes, Laban stole a lot, but in the leaving, stealing away, that's a 
That's an element of fear, isn't it? That's not, that's not a boldness of faith. But also, Rachel's like, I'm gonna get back at dad one last time, and she steals his idols. So here's how it unfolds. Verse 23, and he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey. They overtook him in the Mount Gilead. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Uh, So God warns him, um, you know, if you try to bring it on like Donkey Kong, bro, you haven't seen it, you better behave, okay? (laughs) So Laban gets a warning. Now there's some life lessons there. I mean, think about it. God protects his people, doesn't he? I mean, that's amazing. God protects his own, so why, why? Why does God protect us? Oh yeah, so that we'll fulfill his will. That we'll obey his word. That's why he protects his people. So God warns Laban not to harm Jacob in verse 24. Now Jacob, God has promised him, <coughs> God's promised to protect him and be with him. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to trust in that word yet. He just starts running, okay? But he's gonna learn. Right? He's gonna have to learn to trust God to fulfill his word. And so this lesson comes up again in the next chapter. Okay? He's gonna have to learn to face his fears and we're gonna see that next time. But that's the thing for every believer. You gotta learn to come to a place where your boldness um, is really just, a, it's, it's just an expression of faith. Our God is a mighty God and he keeps his promises. Never lose sight of that, brothers and sisters. Our God is a mighty promise-keeping God. What has his word declared over your life? Trust him for that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and that's the key, right? Do we believe God that he will make the promises of his word reality over our life? Do we believe that? Well, there's another spiritual principle, never lose sight of it, according to your faith, be it unto you. Do you believe that God is a mighty promise-keeping God? Or do you believe that, you know, he doesn't care, he can't, he's not able, it's not gonna work, God's word isn't gonna work out for you. Well, according to your faith, be it unto you. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to the Lord. What a blessing that is to the Lord where his child has his promise and he can't see the reality of it yet, yet he moves forward in obedience to that promise. What's he saying with his life? What's she saying with her life? God, I'm counting on you. I'm trusting you. God's like, yeah, boy, I got you. (laughs) Get down, girl, I'm with you, okay? Get this down in your notes. Your faith is proven out through how you face trials. So here Jacob, okay, Lord, I'm gonna obey, but he does it in fear, (laughs) right? It's just, a, it's just a small measure of faith. So, so God's got him, he's gonna work. It's accepted according to the man hath, not according to that he hath not. So God's gonna work with him, but he's gonna make him continue to face fears in the next chapter. Laban overtakes Jacob, verse 25. Now Jacob had pinched, pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said unto Jacob, what hast thou done? that thou hast stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters and taken as, as captives taken with the sword. Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs and with tabret and with harp and hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. 
It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. And now, though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. For I said, Peradventure, thou wouldst take by force thy daughters from me. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maidservants' tent, but he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent, but he found them not. And she said unto her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched, but found not the images. In other words, Aunt Patty has come to visit. I'm not getting up, Dad. Everybody's with me, right? Okay, so he searched, but found not the images. Well, there's some life lessons here uh, that we can learn from this interaction with Laban, the idolatrous liar that he is. Uh, Laban is a liar. He's lying and boasting to Jacob when he meets him. He's pretending that Jacob is stolen from him. You stole, why did you steal my idols? Why'd you steal my gods? <laughs> By the way, some god if it can be stolen. But anyway, whatever. So <laughs> why did you steal from me? When Jacob has only served him faithfully for the last two decades, Jacob made him rich until Jacob, or until Laban got stingy and started trying to rip Laban off. So Jacob serves him, enriches him. You know, some bosses are the worst, aren't they? Sometimes you just gotta quit and start over, and that's what Jacob's doing. Sometimes, you know, maybe your boss is the Antichrist, and, and, and so you gotta trust God for a new place of employment. Uh, so there's a life lesson. Laban had done everything that he could to cheat Jacob from the very first time that they met. He was ripping Jacob off. His claims of power over Jacob are nothing but hot air. God had already warned him, watch yourself around this boy. Uh, so it's just, it's just false bravado. God had already shut him down the night before. His own daughters felt cheated by him. They felt sold out. Um, did I give you the cross references for that? Genesis 29, Genesis 31, verses 14 through 16. They feel sold out by their father, you know, a man. Your kids can never feel like you're ripping them off. Uh, Mom, dad, don't be borrowing money from your children that you never pay back. You're gonna embitter them towards you, don't do that. Uh, Fathers, right, parents should provide for their children, not the other way around. And then we find out Laban is a worshiper of false gods. You know, Rachel has no problem stealing from her father because she feels like he's stolen from her. Isn't that interesting? Dad's been doing nothing but ripping me off for these last 20 years, and so when it comes down to it, here's a way to get back a little bit even against my father. Now if the father feels wounded and hurt, and he set it all up. Now I'm not justifying what Rachel did, but, but there it is, right? So why does she steal these idols? Is it the pursuit of idolatry in her own life? Is it financial gain? You know, these, are, these things are probably formed from something of worth financially. Uh, maybe it's revenge. Whatever it is, it's family dysfunction. That's what it is. 
Uh, she feels like it's okay to steal from her dad over his treatment of her. So you talk about family baggage, if I can use that in a punny way. Uh, she's got these stolen idols in the saddle, in the compartment, the furniture, that it's, it's, it's what the, it goes on top of the camel that she sets on top of. It's got packages and pockets and places for storage. And, and so, yeah, literally it's family baggage uh, that this family's that's trying to haul in their relationships. Now what she stole is called teraphim. These are figures of deities, little idols. And uh, Laban, I'm sure he thought, you know, she's like, Dad, forgive me, but, but it's that time of month and, and I, can't get, I'm not, I can't get down. Okay, that's not gonna happen. And so he believes her and you know, the view in the idolatrous world is nobody would dare desecrate these idols, right? I mean, if she's setting on them, it's that time of the month, she's gonna contaminate these idols, so, so he believes her story. But don't miss the picture, because if her story is true, if it really was that time of the month, right, well then those gods became unclean gods according to Levitical scripture. Leviticus 15 verse 20 says, everything that she lieth upon in her separation during that time of the month shall be unclean. It has to be ritually cleansed after that time of the month. So he believes this story because everything she sitteth upon, Leviticus 15, 20, shall be unclean. So literally, if what she's saying is true, then those immediately, literally, scripturally became unclean gods. Does everybody see that? That's just little cherry on top. Uh, that's just amazing. Um, the pictures that the Bible paints for you, these unclean idols, that's all that they are. So Rachel, stealing these idols, she's, a, she's actually, She's learned something from Jacob. She's kind of a Jacob herself. I mean, notice the parallel thefts. He's stealing away his family in the night. She steals the idols. She steals the goods. Everybody's kind of, I mean, there's just a lot of stealing in this family. And Esau would agree with this. You remember what we saw in chapter 27, verse 35? Uh, Isaac says, thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, is he not rightly named supplanter, Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, thou hast, not, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Did he take it all? Can't you bless me with something? My brother's a thief. So there it is, man. These images that she steals, they're like the little St. Christopher plastic Jesus on your dashboard. Uh, that's what these, these kind of things are, you know? And, and according to the Apostle Paul, in terms of spiritual power, they're nothing. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse four says, is concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. Look at what he says. We know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. So people that worship these graven images, they bow down before these little figurines, these little idols, they're worshiping, you know, there may, there may be a sense in which they're worshiping a power behind what these images represent, but the idols that they're bowing before are literally nothing. Why? Well, because there's only one God. Well, what about these powers that people worship? Uh, they're defeated foes. And at the second coming of Christ, everything, every power, every principality, these will be under Jesus' feet. All right, verses 36 through 34. We're gonna title this section, Fight. Right, now it's on like Donkey Kong. Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. Isn't that weird? Um, first his flight response 
is triggered. He's running with his family. And now he's a cornered rat, right? He's ready to fight. And so now he's, he's, he's arguing with Laban and Laban answered, or Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before thy brethren, or my brethren and thy brethren, that we may judge betwixt us both. You say we stole from you, show it. What did we steal? Put it out there, let's see whose it is. These 20 years, right, verse 38, this 20 years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it, and of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was, in other words, you got all the profit, you had to bear none of the loss, I did that. Thus I was, and the day of the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I have served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle. And thou hast changed my wages ten times. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. Uh, the only commentary I got for that is booyah, okay? <laughs> I mean, Jacob, he told the truth. Now what's sad is, you know, he was running in fear. Now he's fighting like a cornered rat, but it all comes out. Um, I wonder what would have happened had he had this conversation with Laban five years ago. What would happen? We won't know. But he gets it out there, he speaks the truth. And so they make a deal. We're gonna call this section uh, friendship, verses 43 through 55. Uh, it's a sketchy friendship, and we'll see why in just a minute. Laban answered and said unto Jacob, these daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto these my daughters, and unto their children which they have born? Now therefore, right, Come thou, let us, make a, let us make a covenant. I am thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. I mean, at the end of the day, your family is my family. What can I do to hurt them, okay? Laban finally comes down on the side of peace, uh, but there's a trust issue, so we need a covenant. Let it be a witness between me and thee. So verse 45, here it is, here's the covenant. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar, and Jacob said unto his brethren, gather stones, and they took stones and made an heap. And they did eat there upon the heap, and Laban called it, I'll take a crack at it, Jagar, Jagar Sahadutha, maybe that's it, Jagar Sahadutha. But Jacob called it Gilead. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Gilead and Mitzpah. For he said, the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us, see? God is witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said to Jacob, behold this heap and behold this pillar which I cast betwixt me and thee. This heap be a witness, this pillar be witness that I will not pass over this heap to thee, that thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of the Father, judge betwixt us. And Jacob sware by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread and they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. Notice he doesn't kiss Jacob. (laughs) And Laban departed and returned unto his place. Okay, so let's talk about this covenant with Laban at Mitzpah. Um, Jacob responds rightly. Okay, it's a biblical principle. We need to do everything that we can in order to live peaceably with all men. Uh, Proverbs 20 verse three says, it is an honor for a man to cease from strife. However you can get the argument to go away, right, if it's possible, you wanna do that. You wanna cease from strife, that is honorable. It takes the bigger man, right? It, 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 it takes a bigger faith, it takes, it's the bigger position to say, let's not fight about this, let's find a solution. Uh, that's the right thing. But every fool will be meddling. Fools just can't let, they can't leave well enough alone, they keep stirring it up. Romans twelve eighteen. if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Some people refuse peace, you can't do it. But that's on them, don't let it be on you. Okay, God's, God's recognizing some things, some situations, they really are untenable. They can't, there, there can't be a solution because the other party refuses a solution. But as much as lieth in you, you be peaceable toward all men. So Jacob has taken the high road here, but what Laban is doing is he's suggesting that they make a covenant that's a boundary between them. It's a, it's a line of protection between them. So the place was called Galid. Galid means a heap of testimony and mitzvah. Mitzvah means watchtower. So it's, it's, a, it's a heap of witness over this agreement and it's a line of demarcation. This is the watchtower. We don't come across it to harm one another. Uh, Jacob didn't need it or care for it. He set up a tall stone, then piled a heap of stones around it and it was to show agreement, but it was also a divorce. Why, because there's a trust issue here. This is the breakup of a family. We're asking God to keep an eye on each other since we can't keep an eye on each other anymore. Do you see that? Okay, so they didn't trust each other. So what they're doing is they're invoking the Lord to make sure they don't kill one another. Right, this fight has to stop. So let's put mitzvah between us and we're just gonna say God sees everything and he's gonna watch what we're doing. We don't have to worry about one another. We're just gonna go our separate ways. So the promise is not to do each other harm. Okay, so now having said that, you've all been to the jewelry shop, the Christian jewelry shop, and you see the little heart that's got the little broken line between it, and it's this little mitzvah heart. Does, everybody know, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm pretty sure way back in the day I would have bought one for Cheryl. And so what was I saying with that? Here's my half, right, or here's your half, here's my half, Let's just be done and go our separate ways. In other words, it's a pretty poor token of Christian love and affection. It's more a token of we have to love because there's infection, okay? That's, if I can say it that way. So the mitzvah blessing, it's not super scriptural the way people use it. You know, oh yeah, God's gonna watch over us while we're apart and we'll come back together and la-di-da, everything will be love. No, these guys kinda can't stand each other. (laughs) And they're like, God's watching. It'll all get sorted out at the judgment seat and they go their separate ways. I mean, this is kind of a, 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 you know, these situations come up sometimes in life. Paul and Barnabas can't agree over John Mark and it's like, both of them are like, bro, this is a mistake. 
yeah, I know, it's a mistake. You need to come to my way of, no, you need to come to my way of thinking. And they just get so wound up, and they're like, this ain't working. You go do you, I'll go do what the Lord's got me doing. Let's get it sorted out at the judgment seat. Sound good? Fine. <laughs> and at least that's a solution. That's an end to the strife. That's better than just warring and warring and warring. And so that's, that's kind of the, the mark of the breakup uh, for this, uh, I mean, it, it really does. This is the end of Jacob's family with the part of the family that's back east in Syria, right? This, this marks the break with the east for Israel. Uh, now they're com- from moving forward, the families are completely separate. Uh, let me close with this. Pink, again, incredible observation. He says another beautiful, typical picture. So showing a, a, a Bible type, a, a Bible picture. He says, Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. They did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning, Laban rose up, kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his place. So first, a covenant of peace was proposed. Then it was ratified by a sacrifice. Last, it was commemorated by a feast. So it was in Egypt. God made promises to Moses. The lamb was slain, then the people feasted upon the roasted flesh. Thus it is with us. God entered into a covenant of peace before the foundation of the world. In the fullness of time, the great sacrifice was offered and accepted, and this is now commemorated at the feast of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 5.8, note too that it was not Laban the elder, but Jacob his nephew who offered sacrifice upon the mount. Do you see that picture? There's a covenant, it requires a sacrifice that results in peace. Don't you know your sin puts you at war with the Lord? I mean, it put you at war, at enmity with him. The wages of sin is death. God wanted a covenant, he wanted peace, so what did that require? It required the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. A sacrifice had to be made. But then, well, what comes next? The kissing, right? Now there's room for some kind of a relationship. In terms of this picture, where it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it makes you part of God's family. It brings you into the beloved. You are now seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God is your father, you are his child. If you're here today and you don't have that kind of a relationship where you know that God is your father, Jesus is your savior, the price has already been paid, the sacrifice has already been made, the covenant can come online in your life. You just gotta receive the gift. You gotta receive it. Let God rise up and kiss you. Just make that decision. Some of you here today, your family is going through a rupture and you do need a blessing. You do need God to bless your family. You need wisdom in how to relate to your family. You ought to pray for that this morning. You ought to ask the Lord. Um, Some of you, you just need to come down front. You need to get on your knees and have one of our pastors, one of our elders pray for you because you need God to lead you in terms of how you relate to your wife. You need God to lead you in terms of how you deal with your children. You need God to do what only he can do in terms of the relationships that 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 are being wrecked in your life. Some of you, you need wisdom to just know how to go talk to your boss. Some bosses, they really are the worst. Somebody, I mean, inevitably, somebody actually will have the Antichrist as their employer. Okay, I can't imagine the work environment. It's gonna be terrible. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's me, okay. 
you need to go, like you need wisdom in terms of how to deal with your employer. You ought to ask the Lord for that this morning. You have not because you ask not. Too many times when you're praying, you're asking amiss because you want to just consume it on your own lust. Man, let's just find out what the word of God says. Let's ask him for the reality of it over our life. Let's ask for his grace so we can move forward in faith. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Let's humble ourselves. Let's call on the Lord together. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to pray for you, but if God's dealing with you, come on. Let's humble ourselves. Let's get on our knees before the Lord. Let's ask God to help us, to bless us, to direct us, to convince us, to convict us. We need to be right with him. So Father, Lord, I come to you today in Jesus' name, and Lord, we're counting on you. If there's any here that do not know you as Lord and Savior, God, we're counting. The sacrifice has been made. Uh, The covenant is established. Lord, let people enter into salvation. For those that have family going through rupture, families are are breaking up. For those that are having trouble at work, Lord, we need you to lead, guide, and direct. We need your grace. We need to be able to, to, to know people. We need to be able to deal with them. We need to be able to interact in a way that is conciliatory, in a way that, that's seeking peace, in a way that's edifying, in a way that speaks truth and love. And, and so God, uh, so, uh, what was it, it was Proverbs? Um, I'm, I'm missing the reference. Um, the, 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 the Proverbs passage, I think it was, uh, what was it? And what does that say? Real loud so I can hear it. Oh, you're in the same boat I'm in. I found it. Proverbs 20, verse three. Um, it's an honor for a man to cease from strife. Lord, help us to be honorable, not to be foolish, stirring up trouble with our wives, with our husbands, our children, our employers, our employees. Um, Lord, help us to seek peace. Is Christ Lord over our life? He's the man of peace. God, help us to follow in his footsteps. And I ask for this right now in Jesus' name, amen.